You're listening to the Hustlenomics Podcast, Episode 28. Sharon Beeson is no stranger to the business world, having run three successful businesses before launching her current business, Womanor. She is a self-proclaimed serial entrepreneur and had started her career as an accountant, thinking that would be her lifelong career. However, like most of us entrepreneurs, she started to feel enslaved and stifled by the corporate world. Sharon is the queen of seeing a problem and creating a successful business to solve that problem or fill a gap. She has a keen eye for understanding what people need, sometimes even before they know it themselves. I had such a great time speaking with Sharon, and she shared so much valuable information in this episode. Don't forget to go check out her book, The Entrepreneur's Startup Game Plan, 12 Months of Actionable Tips, Advice, and Strategies to Plan, Launch, and Grow Your Business Successfully, as well as everything she's doing at womanor.com. So guys, I'm so excited to share this with you, and I hope you enjoy it. listening to the Hustlenomics podcast, a podcast all about inspiring female creative entrepreneurs, their stories, experiences, and life lessons. Hear from women across the U.S. working in creative industries who are breaking the rules and doing things their way. Learn from their challenges, struggles, failures, and successes, and get an inside look at their top tools and resources that help them along the way. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning into the Hustlenomics podcast. I'm your host, Katie, and today I'm talking with Sharon Beeson. Sharon is no stranger to the business world, having run three successful businesses before launching Womanor, an online hub dedicated to providing no-nonsense advice, resources, motivation, and community, and events to emerging and early-stage female entrepreneurs. So, Sharon, thank you so much for coming on the show. You're very welcome, Katie. Thanks for having me. (laughs) I'm glad to be here. So would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself, how you got started in the business world, and of course, more about Womanor? Absolutely. Thanks. So um, I'm a serial entrepreneur. Uh, My background is accounting. I actually sat and passed all four parts of the uh, CPA exam, Certified Public Accountant. So I really thought I would be that person (laughs) retiring as an accountant. The entrepreneur bug took over. I would say early 2000, I knew I didn't always want to work in the corporate world. I had an amazing tenor in a corporate world, but I did feel enslaved. I started to feel like everything evolved around me having to go to work. And so in 2006, I started my first company. It still is operating today. It's a concierge company. So think personal errands. And it's for, you know, C-suite executives and just people uh, who don't have enough time to take care of their really everyday mundane errands. And so I do that. And so in 2008, I quit my corporate job and just took off in, in the corp- in the, on my entrepreneur journey. And fast forward to today, I launched Womener in April 2000. Actually, fast forward to April 2015. That's when I launched Womener. And the reason why I began that is because I noticed the need for women who needed assistance with navigating their entrepreneur journey. So what I do is I offer consultation sessions. I have a membership hub. I also do annual events called Womener Con. And I host workshops here and there. And it's been an amazing ride. 
Wow. Yeah, that's incredible. So I'm so curious about this first business that you started. It's nothing like I've ever heard before. Of course, I'm not a C-suite executive, but so like, where did you get the idea for a concierge service that would kind of do errands for these high-level executives? Yeah, it's a, it's a, that's a good question. You know what? I was always like the go-to person. And every week I literally will send out an email saying, this is what's happening. This is where I'm going to be. Come and join me if you want. And this was to my friends and colleagues and associates. And so I was always a go-to person with what was happening, what's going on. And so when how this idea came about is I said, oh, my goodness, you know what? Brooklyn is really emerging. You know, for those of you who don't know uh, Brooklyn, New York City, it has extremely gentrified. It went under an amazing gentrification. And so I was living in downtown Brooklyn at the time and saw literally right under my nose the changes that were taking place. So my initial idea was to start some sort of platform, an online blogazine where I literally let everyone know what was happening in Brooklyn, like where you should be, what's next hot bar, et cetera, et cetera. But I began doing research and I kept coming across personal errands and concierge. And I was just like, what? I can do this. You know, I can go to the grocery store for someone. I can let the plumber in. (laughs) And so that's really how it came about. What really caught my eye and made me divert was how I saw how lucrative it could be. So that's when I kind of pivoted and launched this concierge company. (laughs) Wow. So... Moving from the corporate world to being your own boss and have, running your own company, I'd love to hear about that journey because um, I'm sure it could be a shock for some people sometimes because it's such a different atmosphere and such a different way of going about things. So what was that transition like for you? That transition, you know, it was a, it was a scary one. Like it took me a minute before I even quit my job. It took me two years before I quit my full-time job to do this. And even though I had lined up some clients on retainer on a monthly basis, it was still scary because it was a large adjustment in my pay. It just it went from six figures down to, you know, five figures. And so I had to make a major adjustment in my lifestyle. And so that was kind of hard at first, but it didn't matter to me because I was just happy. I was able to get up whenever the hell I wanted to go to bed, make my own hours. This whole level of freedom, it was just a whole new level of freedom. I really didn't know what the hell to do with myself. It just felt so good. And I know I wanted that feeling to continue. So I was going to do whatever it took to never sit again in anyone's office or sit in anyone's meetings again, (laughs) besides my own. (laughs) Yes, I love it. Right. (laughs) Yes, I definitely am familiar with that feeling. I get asked all the time and I get different answers every time I ask people, but I'm always curious of the idea of working in a full-time job and then you have a an idea or a side hustle that you eventually want to make your your full-time job. What advice would you give to somebody? Would it be to completely grow and scale that side hustle until it's about to take over your life and you have to quit your nine to five? Or do you think it's still a balance between taking the leap and maybe not knowing what's going to happen? Is there a balance? What what advice would you give? Hmm, That's a really good question. You know what the thing is? I think people look for a balance. People want a definitive answer like, okay, now is the exact precise time. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know if there is ever a right time because 
we can always lap in the luxury of comfort, right? Or you don't want to give up your vacation. You don't want to give up your comfortable paycheck. But what I will say is this, based on what I did, I saved like crazy. I mean, I stopped sending out those weekly emails. <laughs> like I wasn't going anywhere. Like I, I, I really did sacrifice. And I had a game plan. I didn't want to just quit and place it in the hands of fate, right? I wanted to have a bit more control over everything. And so what I did was I saved up. I, of course, created a budget. I looked to see how much I could scale back in salary and still afford the basics, right? Pay my rent, <laughs> you know, buy my groceries. So I mapped all of that out and I looked to see what it would take for me to live you know, a decently on a monthly basis. And so I made a game plan and I said, listen, I'm going to quit my job once I make this monthly salary. But it is, it still is a leap of faith because nothing's locked in. You know, you have all these ideas, all these thoughts in your head. Oh my goodness, suppose this client quits right after I quit my job. Oh my goodness, suppose the rent goes up. Suppose this goes up. Suppose, suppose that goes up. Suppose something happens and you can't afford it. Then what? So you have all these, I mean, a million and one scary ideas. But the goal is to just, you know, subside, suppress your fears and just go for it. Like you literally are jumping off a cliff and uh, hoping that the parachute opens on the way down. Like that's the feeling. <laughs> yeah. And it's so hard to know when that right time is, if there ever is a right time, like you said. Yeah. So I always kind of like to crowdsource these answers to see, you know, is there a trend? But, you know, I think it's different for everybody. So it's always an interesting thing to ask though. Yeah, it definitely is a, a different for everyone. It's, you just have to look at the big picture and consider so many different things. And those things, you know, those elements are going to be different for everyone, depending on their goal and their current lifestyle and et cetera, et cetera. It's absolutely different for everyone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so after you started your concierge business, that's a couple years later is when you started Womanor, correct? Well, I started uh, two companies in between that. Um, so oh, okay. yeah, love to hear about yeah. so after, <laughs> so after uh, my concierge business, you know, I was the one initially running around doing everything. And then I was able to eventually streamline that and, and outsource. And, and that's how it is today. It's very streamlined. It's automated. It's outsourced. And so I really did begin to, I literally began twiddling my thumbs, like, what can I do next? And so that's when I began or brought into fruition my initial idea of a company, of a blogazine, an online blogazine, uh, and to entertain Brooklynites as to what to do and where to go. And so I created a blogazine called Brooklyn Exposed. And that I launched in 2010, I believe it was, or 2009, 2010 probably. That ran for four solid years. And this was before Instagram was even like a thing. I did this when Twitter was around and I actually became the Twitter queen because uh, that's really, you know, Instagram wasn't popping like that. And so uh, my point is there weren't as many resources available as they were now. So this really was me, you know, grinding from the ground up and becoming extremely resourceful. And so this magazine was just, it was great. I made so many connections that I have to this day. Actually, one woman that I know owns a wine shop and she's the one that sponsored the wine for my launch event for Womenur. But 
it was an online blogazine. I outsourced writers. I hired an editor and I really was able to monetize this. I was making a couple of grand a month because I had big names like the Brooklyn Museum and the Brooklyn Book Festival and the Rock and Roll Run. These are all big things now. And a lot of these small businesses that are years old, I knew about them when they were like, you know, grinding at local street fairs or hustling at the local market. So it's, it was amazing to see the progress of these small business owners located throughout Brooklyn. But yeah, we were the ones to tell you what bar opened, what restaurant opened. And I was sending my writers to do write-ups and literally go and taste the cocktails and go to the events. And, and then I started to do events. I produced annual events. One was called Taste of Brooklyn. One was called Brooklyn Wine and Spirits, something like that. I forget the names, but those garnered major press. I mean, it was a really good run, like just getting carte blanche access to all of these amazing events. But it just, I think the success got the best of me and I had to make a decision. Am I going to scale this more or am I going to shut it down? And I decided I didn't want to scale it anymore. I had offers to, for it to be purchased, but I didn't want it to become tainted, so to speak, you know? So I literally shut everything down, shut the website down and everything. And then I launched another business after that called Social Fix. That was a smaller scale, think Groupon, but for events. Where And that ran for a year also. That, that did pretty well where I would approach local businesses and sell their events and, of course, get a kickback or get commission on that. But it's just I didn't want to do it anymore. I just I was done. <laughs> well, that's so interesting. And I have a question before we kind of move on to Woman Or um, about sponsorships and partnerships, because obviously with the three businesses that you were you know running before Woman Or, that I'm guessing was a huge part of it. And I feel like finding sponsors and sponsorships, it can be kind of an awkward and tricky situation if you don't do it correctly. And I know that people who blog and all that stuff are, and even podcasting are always looking for sponsors. So how did you go about partnering with those sponsors and approaching them to maybe put, you know, their event in your magazine or, you know, anything that they might be interested in? So how did you approach them to start out with? I was able to monetize various ways, right? And sponsorship was one of them. Advertising was one of them. The sponsorships, I will have to be honest with you and say that I was one of the top blogs. At the time, when you thought of top online magazine dedicated to Brooklyn, I was one of the top ones. So I was able to run with that authority, so to speak. And I had a lot of people approaching me especially for advertising. Sponsorship, of course, I created a media kit. I created a sponsorship package. And I actually was able to connect with people that I had already connected with, right? So it was it's very important to foster relationships. And I had already fostered these very meaningful relationships. So for me, it was really easy to just connect with these local businesses and email them my sponsorship kit and say, hey, this is what I have happening. This is what I have going on. Would you like to be a part of it? And I would just receive so many yeses, even with my annual events, right? Would you like to participate in this event? And a lot of the main hyped up restaurants that, you know, we were receiving all the hype at the time were part of my events. And yes, uh, I received a lot of sponsorships also because of the recognition and the growth and the popularity of the blog. So yeah. <laughs> okay. That makes sense. So for someone maybe like me who just started a podcast and is interested in maybe 
you know, looking to get some sponsors or some advertising. You, you mentioned a media kit. So that's something that I think is a good place to start. And then absolutely approaching people via email or the phone. What do you feel like is the best way to start communicating with people? I will say this for, first of all, definitely create your media kit, your sponsorship kit. That alone will set you apart from everyone else who wants to put all this shit in email, right? <laughs> like you, you don't have to put all this, put it, package it nicely, you know, put your branding on it. And first of all, though, you know, put together a list of individuals or small businesses that you feel align with your brand's mission, right? Can't just go around asking people for money just because of the heck of it. These people should align with your company's mission and don't feel any way about approaching, approaching smaller businesses. Don't feel you always have to approach a large business, right? And you can also, right? But I would definitely say, do your research, right? First, create a list of businesses you feel align with your mission, align with your aesthetics and things of that nature. And then listen, I mean, I will say, go for yours, like approach them on Twitter, go to LinkedIn, try and find the individual that is in PR for that business, that is doing PR for that business. That's what I did. I went onto LinkedIn I look because they list all the employees. Also now it's so easy. Everyone's on social media. So you can easily look to see who is the contact person, who is the decision maker. This is who you need to contact, right? And if it's the PR person, then connect with them. Whoever the decision maker is, right? Call them up, call them up and say, Hey, I'd love to send you X, Y, Z. This is what I did. Right. But I also realize nowadays people are sliding into people's DMS. People are connecting with people on Instagram. And I wouldn't, I, I advise against that. I feel your initial contact should either be an email or it should be a phone call saying, I would love to invite you to this, but yes. And create a template email, right. And then attach your sponsorship kit or your media kit or what have you. Awesome. No, I think that's great advice. And you're right. It's like sometimes confusing how casual you should be or how formal you should be. And since there's so many lines of communication these days, it's like a little overwhelming, but I also love that you mentioned finding brands and sponsors that like align with what you're you're doing because there's nothing worse like listening to a a mom pregnancy podcast you know for for people who are pregnant and there's like a vodka sponsor it's like what (laughs) you definitely got to think of that one through before you start right (laughs) yes for sure was there would there be anything that you would say absolutely not to do that would be a big taboo yeah, you know what? Like I said, I absolutely think people really should avoid the um, the DM, the DMs or the the messages in the um, social media. Don't don't do that. <laughs> yeah, I would honestly say this to, to, because you want to be able to go the extra mile, right? Don't please don't email this individual and don't include their name. Do not do that because if you take the time to include this individual's name right? Go to Google. You're going to find it, right? Take the extra time to find this individual's name, but whatever you do, don't address the company as dear XYZ company. Like I see that all the time, dear women are. And it's a, it's a, it's a turnoff to me because I'm like, you can Google who the owner or the founder of women are is. So when I see anything that says dear women are, I'm just like, no, I, I, I pay way less attention to them than the person who took the time to find my name and say, 
Dear Sharon. Right. Absolutely. No, I think that's great. And something that a lot of people don't do anymore. So I would love to move into the present day and um, hear a little bit about Womanor. Sure, absolutely. You know, after I um, decided to end the online magazines and then the events company, uh, the online events calendar company, I I really was looking for the next thing to do. I kind of was twiddling my thumbs. And so, you know, keep in mind, I had already been in business since like 2006 and now it was like 2014. And so I hadn't even realized that I had gained a load of knowledge. And so while researching to see what my next business would be, right? Now Instagram is up and popping. And so just doing my research, looking online, I started to see the crazy. And I always say this. I started to see the crazy, what I call the crazy. And I started seeing crazy looking logos and crazy looking visual presentations and crazy looking branding and crazy looking websites. And I was calling them crazy because I knew that I knew what it took to present yourself appealing wise, right, to the outside world to gain that advertising from these large companies, to gain that sponsorship from people, to have people say yes, like the hottest restaurants say yes to participate in your event. So I knew what it took to look and to present yourself or how to present your website and everything to the outside world. And so I was just like, oh, no, 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 no. I realized it was a eureka that I had gained this holistic knowledge. Like I knew branding 101, social media 101, startup 101. I had this this gained knowledge that I knew what not to do. (laughs) So it was at that point I said, oh, my goodness, I am going to help women navigate their entrepreneur journey. And that's when I decided to do major research to launch Womener. That's super exciting. And so like throughout your your career, and especially with Womanor, you kind of stepped into a leadership role. And I think leadership is always something that is an evolving term that we're always trying to kind of get to the bottom of it. But I would love to hear what you think are key qualities of a good leader. Oh, absolutely. Because when I was at um, Womanor Con, my presentation was based on authentic leadership. And well, you know, some of the qualities that I feel that I've done, you know, to really grow my community that I've used are authenticity, genuity, and being open to criticism, good listening skills, being observant, also at times to lead with your heart, right? To lead with emotion. And I feel a lot of people tend to leave this out of the equation. And it's almost like I'm the boss, do what I say. But it's like, you know, treat and, and include the human factor, right? Like make people feel valuable, right? Like talk to a person, don't talk at a person and be inclusive. I feel it's extremely important to be inclusive, right? A lot of the decisions that I've made, a lot of the things that I've done for women are my women are con event, my workshops, my membership collect, uh, you know, writing a book. I've always included my community in the decision-making process so that when I do put out products and items and things of that nature and services, it's because that's what they asked for. So definitely authenticity, genuity, be inclusive, lead with your heart and your emotions, right? Be a good listener. These are the qualities that have absolutely helped me, (laughs) uh, you know, become influential with my platform so that people do want to listen and people do want to turn to me to receive some good advice and some navigation on their journey. 
I love that. So for the person who's starting their business and maybe is just building their team and they really want to strive to be a good leader and, you know, have all these qualities of, you know, ingenuity, authenticity, inclusiveness, all those things. What would be some like practical day-to-day ways that they could start kind of flexing those leadership muscles and building up those skills um, to where they're going to be leading their team in a productive and compassionate way? Yes, that's that's a really good. I'm glad you said compassionate because you definitely, you know, need the compassion. Well, in terms of leading a team, because, you know, the saying you are as good as your team. Right. So, (laughs) you know, definitely. Again, I think it applies to the team. Also, once you are ready to take anyone on, whether you start with one person or whether, you know, and then you eventually bring on more people. Right. You, You have to give these people the reins to kind of lead the way themselves, so to speak, right? You have to be comfortable giving them the reins so that they can kind of walk down the path themselves with your guidance and let them know that they are just as much as a decision maker as you, that their opinions are valued. Be responsive. Let this person know that they really are appreciated. And when they do something that you appreciate, tell them. Like nothing beats letting someone know that they are appreciated. Even if you just say, oh, you know what? I want to take a second to say, I appreciate you. Right. And so it, and, and it comes in your actions. Right. So it's just the little things like people think you have to do these big things. But no, just letting the person feel valued, letting you know that they trust their decision making process. And like I said, giving them the reins to, you know, fulfill their role efficiently, giving them the confidence to, you know, or empowering them to fulfill their role confidently. And you along the way, letting them know that you appreciate them. Right. And uh, pretty much that's it. So, you know, being honest, being open when they make a mistake, you don't chastise them. But of course, you know, lead with the positives, always lead with the positives. Hey, I really appreciate you for doing X, Y, Z. But I just want you, I really want us to be on the same page. So I want to address X, Y, Z. But that's just making them feel human and valued and appreciated and showing fortuity. That will really get you a long way with anyone that you work with. And your team will be empowered and they will carry you a long way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've been in situations where I've had bosses that did not do the appreciation so well. And so it definitely makes a difference when they, when you get that, that good feedback or even bad feedback, but they do it in a certain way that, you know, they're, they're on your side. Absolutely. So we've uh, talked a little bit about social media and Instagram, but I definitely want to kind of dive deeper into that. I mean, you were named one of Instagram's top 10 accounts to help grow your career. So I would love to kind of hear about Instagram. It's, it's a funny beast and this dang algorithm is about to drive us all up the wall. So, so like, I mean, it's it's kind of like something you hear about every day. Nobody can figure it out. Right. Starting an Instagram for your business, what are some key strategies that you would implement when you're first starting out? Okay. So I will have to first note that the dynamics of Instagram have absolutely changed since I launched. And I launched in, on Instagram in February, 2015. Right. So uh, fast forward, Mm -hmm. I've made some serious adjustments. I will say this. Don't focus on posting all day long. Right. What I will say is post less, engage more. 
So a lot of people may get hung up on, oh my gosh, you know, I got to get people to notice me. I have to post five and six times a day. No, you don't. Because keep in mind, your posts aren't getting seen <laughs> until even five days later, right? So I would definitely say number one, post less and engage more. What do I mean by engage more? Don't just respond to the comments. Well, first of all, don't ignore your comments. I mean, I see some people, they have five comments and then have the nerve, the audacity to ignore them. Don't do that because then you remove the human factor right? You remove valuing that person who took time out of their life, which they can't get back to leave a comment on your post. So definitely post less, engage more, respond to every single comment. Don't be generic with your comments. Take an extra second to look at that person's bio and, and, and address them with their name. You just need to understand the difference that will make. You will stand out in that person's mind. I guarantee you that. And respond to them with their name. Try and engage a conversation. If there's if, if, if their comment warrants a conversation, start one, right? And um, always try also to not just engage the people who leave comments, but also the individuals that like your post. Go and look at their post and engage them. If you see something, a post that you like, like the post, right? I say one trick to stay in the four minds of people is once a week, just go randomly to people who have liked your accounts or people you see in your timeline and go and like their posts, but organically, genuinely, like if you don't like the post and don't like it, right? And leave a comment because this is how you will stay in people's minds. This is the reminder, right? This is why Amazon sends out a million emails every day, right? <laughs> so, but this is the reminder that Oh, wow. Right. It's not that people are ignoring you. Sometimes people forget or they need that reminder. Right. And so it doesn't matter. I also say follow all of your customers. It doesn't matter if they have five followers and people are evil. People are mean, like people just want to do the popularity game. I put all my customers in a folder. I create a folder for all of my customers and all of my loyal fans. And what I do is I make sure that I'm following and engaging my customers. It doesn't matter and my loyal fans, it doesn't matter if they only have five followers. It doesn't matter if they have low engagement. I make it my business to engage every single one of them. But yeah, so those are some of the tricks, but people are getting caught up with too much with this algorithm. It's really what you really need to focus on is engaging your, your followers. That really is it respond to their comments. And for everyone that responds to a comment, everyone that does a comment, go onto their post and like a picture onto their page and like a picture, like really, and really keep your bio intact. Like you have to, you have to understand that people are looking at your bio. First of all, people see your logo and in passing, if you, they don't like your logo, they're going to keep scrolling, right? You have to think about what catches the eye for you right? What catches your eye and why, what is it, what is it that you like about uh, someone's timeline or someone's logo? So listen, get a professionally designed logo, professional headshot, right? The selfie in the bathroom won't cut it and take your time to write your bio. I don't know why people don't think this is important. These are the first things that people see. Same thing when I see you in person, first impressions are lasting impressions. You'll see from your insights how many people literally left your bio or looked at your bio and then left. You can compare how many people saw your, looked at your bio as, and align that with how many people followed you. And if less people followed you as looked at your bio, you know people are, are not, you know, that bounce rate is high, right? So take your time to write a bio that makes sense, right? And then include 
some sort of contact information. You have to understand, look at the big picture, get into your consumer's minds. People want answers now. If they want to look at your website, they should be able to. If they want to look at and see if you have contact information, they are comfortable with that. If they see you have no website, no contact information, that's, that's off-putting to people who want answers now. So all of those things rolled up into one. I can go on and on and on about Instagram, but those are the key things. <laughs> Definitely. And I'm so glad you brought up the bio. This is kind of a broad question. Just tell me if it's too broad, but what do you consider a bad bio and what do you consider a good bio? <laughs> is that too broad? No, that's no, no, no. That's a really good question. No, that's a good question. Well, you know, listen, your bio has to align with what you do, right? What does your business offer? And your bio should in a snapshot tell anyone who's looking at it what they can expect to receive when they interact with your brand like what do you have to offer and how you what you have to offer is solving their problem right so let me use womener as an example right if you come to womener and you read the bio it says advice resources motivation and events to help female entrepreneurs navigate their journey Think of the consumer's mind right away. Whoever needs this, there's potential for me to solve their problems, mm -hmm. right? Now, let's remove that, right? And let's just say in the women are bio, it says, well, there's bad and then there's just not nonsensical, right? So let's just move down to one that just makes no sense and won't connect. Advice for female entrepreneurs. Well, okay, what, what, what female entrepreneurs, right? And what are you doing? Okay, advice on what, right? Because that's so broad. So that's a disconnect because you're including everyone, right? And so it has to be broken down more. Bad is, well, not bad, but just maybe something that's, let's just say, disconnect. What is a bio that will really won't, that really won't connect with your audience? Okay, so you come to the women of bio and they'll say something like, uh, Founded by Sharon Beeson, Virgo lover, <laughs> you know, uh, lives in New York City, loves cats, and her hobby is the XYZ. Really? Now I just made it all about me. So to answer your question, a bad bio is something that you make all about you. Honestly, no one gives a shit. People are coming to see how you can solve their problem. So if in my bio it says women are, and then it has my name, you know, and I'm uh, all my favorite hobby and my cats and my dogs. Oh, and I love daffodils. Oh, I love sunflowers. That's really horrible. That's bad because you're not addressing anything that I can expect to interact with you. It's, it's off-putting because you just spoke all about yourself in your bio. So bad bio is when you keep it all on yourself. Don't do that. Your bio has to be all about solving the problems for your, your your bio has to be all about your potential customer or your leads. That's it. Like stay off yourself. No one gives a shit about the color of your cat, the color of your dog, what flavor, what what what's your favorite flower. Uh, you know that that can pertain in certain cases, but in most cases, no one gives a shit about your horoscope sign either, right? Unless you're a person that's a light worker or you're clairvoyant or something of that nature, and you're telling horoscopes. Other than that, it has to connect to the people you consider your ideal customer.
Definitely. I agree. I think that's great advice because that is such a hard thing to write sometimes. It's very hard to write about yourself, I've found. But if you kind of keep it focused on what you can do for people, that definitely will get things going for sure. So since you've been successful running all these different businesses, I'm curious, has there been something you know over the years that has surprised you about being a business owner that you didn't expect? Well, I mean, I've been surprised both good and bad. (laughs) Well, you know what? The one thing that I, I learned is that's a key for me that I realized is leverage your contacts. You just don't know. Like I was shocked that the woman that I became friendly with when I first launched Brooklyn Exposed in like 2014, even when I launched my concierge business, I started connecting with people and I always made it my business to reach out or send an email for something useful. I didn't realize it at the time, but years later, I was able to reach out to the same woman hadn't spoken to her in two years. And because of the value that I had provided along the way, she jumped. She, there was no hesitation. Absolutely. Of course, I would love to be at your launch event. And then she was at my women are con event too. So the good thing that I realized is learn to leverage your contacts. Just learn how to leverage the people that you meet. Do not reach out to them whenever you just need something, but learn to build and foster relationships. So yes, that had shocked me. I hadn't realized that that's what I was doing, but it shocked me that, wow, I can really reach out to people even if I haven't spoken to them in two years. Why? Because I was always building that relationship all along. And that's what people remember you for. Remember, what are people saying about you when you leave the room? So, you know, so that's, that's what had shocked me. But like I said, I hadn't realized that that's what I was doing. So now I know the power of leveraging your relationships. Yeah. I have a quick question. Do you have a policy on like how many times you ask for a favor from somebody in your network? <laughs> Absolutely not. Because <laughs> I've heard everything. I've heard like only ask once or like, you know, but I'm like, that seems a little crazy. <laughs> No, no, no. I, you know what? Listen, if you know you bring value to something and you know that, first of all, seek out the synergy, right? Like for me, I never put a, a max on it. <laughs> I mean, because all along I've been developing this relationship. Like my relationships aren't new. I've known someone for years. So it depends too. Also, right? If it's someone that you're just meeting, you know, just be careful, right? Like don't be greedy, right? You have to really gauge. You have to, this is where your common sense comes in, right? If you just met someone at a networking event a month ago and you're building the relationship, think about your consequences, you know, write down the outcome of what may happen. The person may just take off, right? So if you're willing to risk that because you're being greedy and, you know, maybe self-absorbed and all you want is favor after favor in such a short span, that absolutely should be considered. But if it's, this is someone you're comfortable with and, you know, you guys have really provided value to each other over the year, maybe that's your go-to person. Maybe they're your go-to person. Maybe you guys are consistently referring customers to each other. Maybe you guys are shouting each other out. So gauge the level of the relationship first before you go all in. But I don't say there's a cap. There's not a cap on giving. There shouldn't be a cap on giving unless someone really takes advantage of you. Yeah, I like that. So are there any big goals or or projects that are coming up in the future that you're really excited about? I am. You know, I have my book tour coming up. Um, I want to plan that for the fall. We'll see how that goes. I'm working on a few things for my collective membership. And so I'm excited about that. I just, I have a partnership with Thinkific, which is an online uh, course 
uh, platform. So I'm looking forward to creating some courses, you know, later on this year for my uh, women in our community. So yeah, I have a couple of projects in the loop that I'm really, really excited about. <laughs> What's the name of your book? The name of the book is called The Entrepreneur Startup Game Plan. Uh, 12 months of actionable tips, advice, and strategies to plan, launch, and grow your business successfully. And that launch, cool. yeah, it was released on March 26th, and it became the number one new release in the home-based business category. So I was excited wow. about it. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, the day it released. So I was excited about that. Thank you. <laughs> so where can people find that? Is it online or is it in certain bookstores? Oh, no, it's not in bookstores. That's not a goal of mine. Um, right now it's on Amazon. I shouldn't say right now. It's, it's available on Amazon and you can search my name or you can search startup game plan. But I would advise someone to go to Amazon and just key in my name, Sharon Beeson, and it'll pop right up. Perfect. Perfect. Well, are there any other resources out there like business books or podcasts or courses or anything that you have found helpful in your business journey that you would recommend to our listeners? Oh, wow. I mean, I'm an avid reader, so I read books crazy. So just to give you guys a couple of books, I would definitely say read, um, wow, read Disruptors, definitely read Disruptors. And that's a book about the success strategies of women, but also read Female Founders. That is a, a book about how business women around the world, right? Because you keep hearing the same names of business women over and over again. This is women who collectively made over a billion dollars, right? In revenue. And so definitely read Zero to One by Peter Thiel. I say Contagious by Joanna Berger. I mean, I could go on and on with books, right? Read Gary Vaynerchuk's books. <laughs> um, in terms of resources, podcasts, you know, honestly, I'm normally like a guest on podcasts. I don't really listen to podcasts. I really, I don't. Um, you know, um, resources, honestly, I would just say, as a business owner, it's very, very important to stay on top of your industry. So I would say just read, become re a reader, subscribe to industry related resources and follow. If there are people that you admire, mm -hmm. follow them, right? Because that way you can become in the know. I'll link to all those books in the show notes so everybody can find them if they're interested in reading them. And I know they're going to want to learn more about you and Womanor and, of course, your book and all that stuff. So do you mind letting the listeners know where they can find you? Absolutely. So, of course, womenor.com. Right now the blog is just up uh, because it's getting revamped, so they can read all the blog articles. Um, the collective is wc.womenor.com. That's the collective membership. The book is on Amazon. Also, it's Womener on Facebook. It's Womener on Instagram and it's Womener on Twitter. I will say that I am highly active on Instagram. A lot of my community and tribe is on Instagram. So definitely give me a follow on Instagram if you are on Instagram. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much for doing this and taking the time to talk with me today. I really enjoyed it. I absolutely did too, Katie. Thank you so very much for having me. Hi guys, I hope you enjoyed my interview with the amazing Sharon Beeson. If you want to learn more, I did a recap of everything we talked about in the episode as well as all the resources Sharon mentioned in the show notes. So you can find all of that at www.hustlenomicspodcast.com. And if you enjoyed the episode or you want to support the show, I would love to hear from you on Instagram or Facebook. Just head over to Hustlenomics on either one of those and leave a comment or send me a DM. And we always love getting reviews and ratings on iTunes. It really helps people find the show. 
show and helps me get awesome guests like Sharon to come on and interview. So thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Hustlenomics podcast. Be sure to visit www.hustlenomicspodcast.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover bonus content. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to hear more, just head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. For questions about the podcast or if you want to apply to be a guest, use the contact form found on our website. Thank you for listening, and until next time, keep hustling.